I like to think of audience more in terms of desires as opposed to demographics, right? Because a lot of people, when they say, figure out your cu your customer avatar or whatever, they say, all right, where do they where do they interact online? And what's their age and what's their gender and how much money do they make and how many kids do they have and what industries are they in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the problem with that is you're actually cutting off too many people that might actually be the perfect audience because you think you know, based on the limited amount of information you have, what the audience is. This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network. Available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, 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 let's go business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Today, we are once again live streaming to Amazon as well, part of the Amazon Influencer Program. So everything, really, really briefly, everything you can see around me, you can order down below at the side, depending on what device you're on, in the carousel. If you are not watching on Amazon, just search for Christoph Trapp, Amazon Storefront, and you can find all these wonderful products you see around me, this wonderful mic. The fake background behind me, I love it. Looks way better than what's naturally back there. Um, but you do have to kind of put in some work to get that up. The main product that we will be talking about today is actually Craftsman Creative by Darren Smith. Uh, I ran across him on Twitter. I'm pretty sure it was because Jeff Kozlowski, one of uh, the, the co-authors of Going Live, uh, was talking to him. And they were having a discussion about something. Um, making some improvement to some intro or something like that. And I, I saw that. Uh, so looked into the book, Craftsman Creative. What the heck is that? Um, interesting book from my perspective. Definitely always good to hear about um, how do you price things? How do you do things? So uh, let's hear from Darren. Why did he write the book? What is Craftsman Creative? And how do we make money in content? Let's get to it. Darren, welcome to the show. Christoph, what's up, man? How's it going? As I like to say, live in the dream. Um, Good. I mean it. I don't say anything I don't mean. I think we already got that out of the way. Uh, yeah. So really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, but tell me about the book, Craftsman Creative. First of all, the title, and then what is it about? All right. I'll try to do the short version because this could be a 20-minute answer. But um, uh, my career path has been in film and television. So I, my full-time job is a film producer. Um, I've done two movies this year as a producer. But last year, when I did the first movie, I realized that I did not want to live the typical life of a producer, meaning working 80-hour weeks, taking home a stack of scripts to read on the weekend, never home, missing all my kids' games, all that kind of stuff. I decided I wanted a better life-work balance than that. So I really dove in using a book as a vehicle to become a creative entrepreneur. I had already started a few entrepreneur style businesses, but this was kind of the, the way that I was going to enter the creator economy in a new way as a creator, not just a producer behind the scenes, but as an actual voice and influencer and someone that's teaching the craft of being a creative individual. So the book was 
the choice because I'd written books before, I'd self-published before. It was an easy thing for me to do. And it helped me achieve multiple outcomes. So I wanted to grow my audience. And so I actually wrote the book in public, meaning every single time that I wrote a chapter, I would publish it as a blog post. Every single day on Twitter, I was showing up and giving updates to what I was working on, the new chapters. I'm hiring an editor today. I'm talking with three editors or whatever, trying to figure out how to make this successful. So the process of writing the book in public and launching it, it came out in April of this year. I doubled my audience before I even launched the book. I had about $15,000 in revenue from consulting, from coaching, from pre-orders of the book, from people who joined the community that I launched with the book. So it was a very successful for me uh, way to kind of enter the creator economy. So that's how the book came about. <laughs> you know what I find interesting, um, and thank you for not giving us a 20-minute answer because we would be out of time. <laughs> Already, but that was a very, very good, very concise answer. When uh, you know, the, let's talk about the creating in public for a little bit. And what's interesting to me when when you said that, I had an immediate flashback. Yes, I love to drop his name, but the guy knows what he's doing. When Seth Godin was on the show and he said, "You just have to ship, knock it off, ship, ship, ship," and creating in public is actually like taking the concept of shipping to a whole another level because you're literally creating in public and you're like you're constantly shipping. Uh, yeah. So how is that? Uh, how do you do that? And how do you deal with um, feedback? And I know especially we had, can't remember his name right now, but a really experienced editor on the show. And, you know, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong person. We had, um, everyone is a copywriter, but I'm not a copywriter, but that's the one, right one. Um, and, and that's his book. And basically, everybody has an opinion about editing, right? Even if they don't have a clue what the heck they're talking about. So is this just that headache at a higher level? Or how is it helpful? How does it work? How do you set it up if you're creating in public? Yeah, so you remove the headache entirely. You don't do any editing whatsoever. So the simple mindset shift, if you're an author or if you're a creator and you are already generating content, it's basically just putting it in a different framing. So all that I did to write the book in public was take the weekly newsletter that I was already writing, the blog posts that I was already writing, and I put them inside the structure of a book. So the very first thing I did was wrote out the table of contents of the book. It was like 30 something chapters. By the time the book was done, it ended up being 33 chapters. Who cares? Nobody's saying, hey, you only said it was going to be 30 and you ended up with 33. That doesn't happen. So literally all I did was took the writing I was already doing on a weekly basis. I increased the pace a little bit because I had time. So I was writing every day instead of once a week, but I was writing these chapters basically as blog posts. And if you go to my website, blog.craftsandcreative.co, and you click on the book link at the top, you'll see it because it's still there for free. The first draft of every chapter was written as a blog post and sent out via newsletter, via email. And so that's how I incorporated the feedback. At the end of every chapter, I said, hey, readers, I would love your feedback on this chapter. And so I was getting at first zero, then one, then five, then 10 people commenting or replying to that email. So that was my initial kind of like beta test of this product that is a book. And so I was getting feedback constantly. 
I was starting to see what was resonating with people because people would grab a blog post and share it in their newsletter or retweet it on Twitter. And so my audience was growing and I was getting the kind of feedback I needed that, yes, this was a valuable thing to be spending my time on as I was building it rather than spending a year or two or five or 10 writing the book in private and then launching it to a list of nobody and having zero sales. Well, and we we know we do know that that happens, and I think the average number oh, of I've books being before. sold, <laughs> the, right? The average number of books is pretty low to begin with uh, for the average author. So certainly, that sounds like it's a good strategy um, to kind of get that out there first and build that audience. Now, the one other thing that resonated with me when you were talking about producing, and I've I've produced shows too um, in, in the banking and financial industry, but when I when I heard you talk about that, taking stuff home editing, reviewing, whatever, whether you're in a full-time job or whether you're in your own little world, content never ends if you let it, if you don't stop it, right? I mean, I could create an episode all day, every Mm -hmm. day, right? Because who makes the rules? I make the rules, right? We'll do three episodes a week at the very most. They publish at this interval. Um, I write this many articles at the very most. This is kind of the rule. This is what I'm trying to do. So I set some boundaries. But even if you're on your own, it's very easy to get away from you, right? Or is it not? It is. But that's why at the very beginning, I said this is a book. So that generally represents somewhere in the like 50 to 80,000 word size or scope, right? I'm not going to write 100,000 words. It's not a novel. It's not a series of novels. And it's not a short book. It's not a short story. So it's not 15,000 words either. So it kind of gives you some constraints to work within, which helps you finish the project. So I said, I want to write this in three months. So I started at the end of August. And by the end of November, I was done writing the first chapter of every book. So it was really easy for me once I had the table of contents, knowing that I had 30 chapters to write because that was the book. Then I just said, all right, I'm going to have to write whatever that was, two or three a week. Sometimes I wrote four and then on like, you know, Thanksgiving week, I wrote one because I had time off, right? So it helps to establish those constraints up front so it doesn't get away from you. So the same applies for when people do creative work for clients or whatnot, kind of have your rules, your numbers mm-hmm. in mind, how much can you do, what can you do, and always build in some extra time because virtually anything in life takes longer than um, than we think it does. I mean, that's, I think that's, if I have learned nothing else, I certainly have learned that. Um, the one section I really enjoyed in your book, uh, especially was where you talk about budgets and, you know, I have very, very strict rules on my budgets. I mean, we do sponsored content on here. We do sponsored, um, articles on christophtrap.com and, but they're very, very strict rules, right? So mm-hmm. when, for example, when people don't, when people try to negotiate with me, it's already a big red flag, right? I might as well stop talking to them right then. This is the price and this is the price. I'm not a flea market, right? This is how much yeah. it costs. Uh, we're not negotiating. So I definitely appreciated that that chapter. But talk about how do people come up with the right price? And it took me a while and I used to charge pretty little. And I was like, hold on a second. When you do the math, I'm like, I just lost money on this deal because of how much you charge. So how do people figure that out and, and, and try to find their niche? And this is a much longer conversation. So I'm just <laughs> going to go with what's top of mind right now. But 
certainly email me afterwards if you have more specific questions. So let's take a podcast, for example, the sponsor sponsorship angle, right? There's two ways that you could get sponsors or price sponsorships for a podcast. So one model is I've got 10,000 listeners. You divide that by your you know, CPM, which maybe is $25 or $45 per thousand listens. And you say, great, it's a $250 sponsorship. And so you're going to try to jam as many of those into an episode to make maybe $1,000 or $1,500 or $2,500 per episode. And if you do one or two a week, you're going to make 10 or 20 grand a month, right? That's a, a model a lot of podcasters use. Now, I just sold and launched a podcast with Joe Polizzi, who I know you've had on this show because I saw his face there in the intro. And I went to him and I said, hey, I have this idea for a podcast. It's brand new. It's a 10-episode thing. It's called the 10K Creator. It's the journey, documenting the journey of a creator, myself, going from like zero to 10,000. 10,000 email subscribers, 10,000 a month in revenue as a creator. He loved the idea, but he said... I'm not going to do it unless we can pre-sell the sponsorships. I said, look, man, this is your jam. Like, I, I don't know sponsorships at all. I've never done sponsorship revenue. Go ahead. And he's like, well, we'll see how it goes. He used what he calls the limited inventory model. So instead of saying we have kind of unlimited slots at $250 a pop, he said, we have three sponsors for this season of the show. There will only be three per episode. You'll be in every single episode, every single email that goes out, and you three are the sponsors. He went out and he found the people who would value the audience that he already had with his existing podcast, because part of the strategy was we're going to just put it on the same stream instead of starting a new podcast from scratch and zero audience. So we already had four or 5,000 people a week that were listening to his podcast. So we went to these sponsors and the first three that he went to said yes to a $15,000 season sponsorship for a show that did not yet exist. So before we ever hit record, we had $45,000 in the bank and he sent me a third of that for my role in pitching and selling and producing the show, right? So that's a lot easier than trying to shill $250 sponsorships and do five of them per episode, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one way you can think about pricing is using a limited inventory model as opposed to a CPM model. So it's interesting too, because my definition of sponsorships, and I know that's a model a lot of people use, but I do very few sponsorships like that. Most of my sponsorships is people buying one episode and then they are the guest on that episode. And we talk about, I, I nice. still try to guide them towards, let's still stay on topic because if we're talking about something totally <laughs> irrelevant, nobody's right. going to listen to it and you spend money on the show. They don't necessarily have to listen, but I'm just saying, you know, I do try to guide them that way. And what's interesting yeah. to me is I do that. I follow that model, which works pretty well and for me, but I also look at the time. So I don't even, so if people ask for the numbers, I totally will send them the numbers. They can totally make their judgments. I also sent them an analytica, analytica, I think it's called their report on influencer marketing compensation which shows that my rates are really, really low. I mean, still comparatively to what they found. Uh, but my point is I look at my time, right? I don't yeah. look at what, I mean, you know, they want to do it, they want to do it. If they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. So, but that's fantastic. And 10 episodes, that's an interesting model too. Um, so will there be more episodes? Will there be more seasons down the road or is it just one and done? <laughs> we'll see what the audience demands, right? So it was a test <clears throat> for sure. It was very much an experiment on Joe's part to say, I've always wanted to add a second show to this stream to see if it works. He uh, He's a big fan of 
Prof G Scott Galloway. And he has like three or four shows on the same podcast feed. So if you subscribe to whatever, you're going to end up getting like four shows a week that are different content each week. So he wanted to try that. And this was an opportunity for him to do that. And he's like, well, I don't want to commit to years and years and years or an open-ended thing. Let's time box it to 10 episodes. It'll be easier to sell a sponsorship because it's a very contained thing. And it worked. So it was a really cool um, experiment. But I, I want to grab on to something you talked about, which is like your time, right? There's different ways to look at your pricing. So in the book, I talk about this. I have a whole section on finances, which is budgeting and you know, figuring out your minimum viable business, which is like how much does your business need to make to pay you a certain amount of money? So if you don't know the answer to that, that's in the book and it's a whole chapter on it. But what I always like to do is kind of reverse engineer using the outcome first approach. It's kind of like a craftsman mindset. Now that is not something I coined that comes from the book So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, which is where I got the term craftsman from because he talked about this craftsman mindset approach to creative work. So I kind of stole that. He didn't trademark it or anything. So I just took it and made a business out of it. But um, basically, I look at the outcome first. And so if I'm saying I want to make $10,000 a month, well, I could go and get two consulting clients at $5,000 a month and have a $10,000 a month business. But I Mm -hmm. might be working for other people for 20 hours a week. Do I want to do that? If yes, then great. That's pretty simple. I can reach out to 100 possible clients, get two of them, and I'm in business, right? But- I want to structure this creative entrepreneur business that I have very hands-off, independent of my time input. And so I'm selling digital products that I can create once and sell infinite number of times online because I have a mechanism, a business, a system that's generating awareness for my business. Like you found me on Twitter, that's awareness, right? And then you take people to engagement and then conversion. So you get them on your email list and then you convert them into buying one of your products. And so in order for me to make $10,000 a month, for example, off a $20 book, how many books do I need to sell? Well, maybe I want to have a higher price point thing. So I have a community and that's $200 or $300 a month, a year. Well, that's another way that I could bring in more revenue. Well, what about a course at $150 or even $500? Well, I could sell 20 of those and make $10,000 or I could sell whatever it is, 200 books or 400 mm-hmm. books or whatever the math works out to. Like, what is it? 500 books to make $10,000 at 20 bucks a pop. I don't do public math for that very reason, but Same. you got to think about what's the outcome, not just monetarily, but like, what do you want your life work balance to look like? Do you want to be working full-time for other people or do you want to be creating content or do you want to be creating products? And that can inform the pricing of that thing so that it generates the outcome that you're after. <clears throat> You know, and I think it's so important to, I mean, I I did not go to school and become a journalist and now a content strategist to do math, but unfortunately we all have to do math, you know, and and I'm going to stand by this. And once again, this is not financial advice. I'm not your financial advisor or I'm not one of those anyways, but Amazon influencers, my friend, I'm one too. I do videos, but if a brand sends you a $50 product and you're doing a video for the free product, you have to pay taxes on that $50 product because guess what? That's your payment. And I'm sticking yeah. to that story. That's how I run my budget. So my point is, Darren, kind of what you're saying, if somebody wants to send me a $50 product, there will be a fee because number one, 
I don't even know if the product is good. Number two, I have to pay taxes on your product. So not only mm-hmm. are you moving all your costs to me, but I actually have to pay something to review your product. So know the numbers, know the metrics, know what you want to do. Uh, the one thing you hinted at a little bit is um, the different types of creators that can use your uh, your book. And I know, you know, we have podcasters, we have writers, we had all these different things. Uh, freelancers, I mean, there's a whole slew of people out there who do freelance work, but also market to freelancers, which I always find interesting, but uh, a lot of people do that. What, who should read the book? What, which areas of creators specifically are, uh, would it be most helpful to? Yeah, I love that question because one of the things that I got wrong when I started Craftsman Creative years ago, uh, it started right at the beginning of the pandemic with some online courses. That was the first iteration of the business. And my answer to like, who is it for is artists and creators and entrepreneurs and founders and freelancers and consultants and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's for everybody. Yay. Right. And that does not work. So I didn't land on the audience for this book until I was in a a nonfiction writer's book or a nonfiction writer's group put on by Rob Fitzpatrick. He's the author of The Mom Test and Write Useful Books. He was an influence in like my writing of this book and he has this great community and I joined and I was active and I was trying to figure it out and everybody was like, well, okay, well, what, what are you writing? What's your book about? And I was like, well, I don't really know, but I, it's a book for how like five figure creators can build six figure businesses. And I had never said that phrase before. I'd never thought it before. It was on the spot. And my goodness, that one comment got like 20 people in that, um, community to hop on and leave a comment like, oh my gosh, I need this book, right? So I instantly knew that I landed on the audience. Now, it's weird because like, how do you turn that into an audience? Well, I like to think of audience more in terms of desires as opposed to demographics, right? Because a lot of people, when they say, figure out your cu- your customer avatar or whatever, they say, all right, where do they where do they interact online? And what's their age and what's their gender and how much money do they make and how many kids do they have and what industries are they in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the problem with that is you're actually cutting off too many people that might actually be the perfect audience because you think you know based on the limited amount of information you have what the audience is. So the reason I like desires more than demographics is because then people can self-identify as an audience member. So there are people who have written my book who are content creators, who are freelancers, who are entrepreneurs. I've had investors buy this book because they want to better understand content creators. They're definitely not someone that I would have put into a demographic. They never would have seen a Facebook ad or a Google ad because they're not part of my demographic. But you think about it that way of like, okay, what would people be searching for? How to make money as a creator? or how to you know, have a six-figure business. They have desires. And so I can frame it in the world of, this is like creative entrepreneurship or content entrepreneurship, but it certainly applies to freelancers, to contractors, to entrepreneurs, to founders, to all the people I initially wanted to reach, but based on their desire and where they're currently at. So if they're starting out, I don't recommend people buy the book because I have a bunch of free content on my blog that they can go read and kind of get up to speed on and start their journey. This book is very specifically for if you are already doing the work you want to be doing, 
but you want to have it be a full-time thing, or you want to increase the revenue of your business or build a better system that's a little bit more resilient, that's what the book is for. Fantastic. And the one thing I want to mention really quickly, Rob Fitzpatrick, fantastic uh, author. I did read The Mom Test, um, and I want to show you a quick clip from him, um, 24 seconds from Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show. We're we're so big on, on sharing that you know, these little video clips, as you say, uh, it's just so powerful and it's so motivating to the team, right? Because it's so easy for all of this stuff to start to feel like an abstract grind after a while. It's just like you and a product in an office. And it's like, oh, no, actually, we're, we're trying to fit this thing into people's lives and help them. And, and it's so exciting when you see their eyes light up or that they really care that you're you know, helping them with a problem that hurts them. So the point he was trying to make there is record your interviews, ask good questions, and read the mom test to figure out what good questions are. I found it very interesting because I I make a living asking questions, literally, and uh, I certainly learned a lot from him. So I hope everybody's impressed that I can, in the moment, pull a clip from a different show when a guest mentions somebody's name. So good job for the day. Um, All right. So, uh, Darren, in the last minute here, so tell us, how do people find you? How do they work with you? Who's your perfect client. And I know the answer is not everyone. (laughs) No, it is not. So if you are generally speaking, a creative entrepreneur or a content entrepreneur, and you want to build a business that supports you being able to do that work full time, then that's who I'm here to help. So all of the content that I'm putting out there is literally to achieve that outcome and to have that transformation to go from, I don't know what I'm doing to, I have a system and a framework that works and it generates the outcomes that I want for myself and my business every single month. So that's what the book is for. And that's all the work that I do. So you can find everything I put out, all the different products and services at craftsmancreative.co. That's my website. And if you go to blog.craftsmancreative.co, that's the blog. So there's a bunch of free content on there. I do have a newsletter that you can subscribe to that's free. So every week I'm putting out new principles, new strategies, new lessons learned on how to do this work. So I'm kind of in the trenches documenting it real time. And I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter. That's the social media platform of choice. So at Darren T. Smith on Twitter. At Darren T. Smith on Twitter. Uh, As a final note, I do need to think about multiple shows in the same podcast feed. That is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and certainly I would, if I were to do that, I would do it on the business storytelling show because that's the most successful one of the three different shows I've run over the years. And of course, two, I don't really do anymore anyway. So I guess that's unfair to begin with. Darren, nice to see you. Thanks for sharing your insights. Thanks so much for the time. Take care. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Stories win.